mark the reality of this event. And I think that's important for us to see that, that this is something that did really take place in space and time and history and has really affected uh, the human race because of the reality of the event. That the, the God of the universe, one who has uh, the power of being himself, uh, laid aside the, the expression of his glory and became a man and came down here to this planet. We were doing the Christmas program. We were talking about the, the I think it was Larry that read that story about the birds that uh, was used by a poem, not to get now who the man was, but there was, it was, uh, it was a poem about the man that saw the birds that were coming and flying in the wind and they kept hurting themselves and he wanted to tell them about a barn. He had opened up the door of the barn. How could I tell them I communicate? So he thought, well, I will go and I will become a bird and I can communicate. They wouldn't be afraid of me as they are a man. And and that's that helps us to see a little bit that God did more than just came and told us. He came and involved in our lives and also worked in our lives even before we heard the message to help us to receive the message. And so we are we're very blessed. But here in this, this text, I'm going to just begin uh, Luke chapter 2. And you can turn to Luke chapter 2 if you like and follow along. I'll try not to get uh, bogged down with it too much. We, we are very familiar with it. Luke starts out in giving us kind of some of the secular events that took place at the birth. It says that now it came about in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth or the inhabited world. We know. Uh, Caesar Augustus, we know his name, Caius Octavius, grand nephew and adopted son of Julius Caesar. By the way, these notes, if you're interested in following up on the accuracy of them, you can check them with your Crawford Study Bible. So that's where I get most of that, a lot of the, the, the research material that he has done. Uh, but this is this uh, guy, Julius Caesar, uh, came at a time in which there was unrest and struggle. It was uh, unrest around his reign. He was appointed uh, to be. Uh, leader by Rome, by the Roman Senate, and who was given the uh, exalted term of Augustus uh, by the Senate, and um, so he was he ruled over the Roman Empire, and he was, he was a good ruler of the time in which we had the Roman peace of Pax Romana and other things, and he was a strong, strong leader in many respects, <clears throat> and um, so here he, he comes to, to power and uh, really took place and we can go to our history books and read about him. And uh, the timing of this event, which is, I think, well, the date of it, Luke also gives us, he says that uh, it was when the first census taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. So he even gives us the date of what this, this census, this uh, requirements by the government of Joseph Mary and all the other residents of that country were to do, I often think about these events and think about uh, how I, well, okay, we got this big thing with the virus and the government's trying to say you need to take these viruses or take these boosters or whatever like that. And a lot of times our natural tendency is to resist that and say, well, I don't want to do that or whatever like that. Uh, although the Lord has told us that um, we need to be in submission to political leaders if we can, if it's not something stupid or whatever. So, and, and I can see that there would be probably some roll eyes or some discontent with this requirement of having to go and register uh, at this particular time, but that's okay because this was God's will. 
It's just time. The events that take place with the secular government, with the secular leader at a time which was it's hard for us to, to accurately track it exactly date-wise. This gives us a good date. Luke's very accurate, but with, because of the length of time, there's a little bit of question as to exactly how that fits. But we know it fits, and we know that the, the readers at that time would understand it perfectly. We know from the many accounts of Luke that he's given us that he's very accurate as a historian. And so we see here the picture of the timing. It, uh, David and uh, Joseph and Mary, both of the descent of David, go to the place where they are to be registered, which is referred to in the text. It says they all proceeded to register for the census or for the registration to their everyone to their own city. And this is not just those of Mary, this is others too, going to their own city, going to their own place of registration. But then Joseph also went up from Galilee, uh, from the city of Nazareth, a uh, grueling journey, by the way, of about 70 miles. Uh, and with uh, Mary pregnant now on the heels of this, this uh, command, and by the way, we've talked about that, and I, and I don't want to belabor it, but it's always been interesting, fascinating to me. You're trying to place the date that it does seem like that the command had been given earlier and had been sort of laid dormant for a while, hoping that things would side down because, and the leadership might make this decision and then not follow up on it. We've seen that in our day, a leader making decisions, and then those decisions kind of lie for a while and then die out and they go away. And it's things like that, but it looks like, because I've looked at it and we've seen it, that that, that command was made a second time with determination. I said we're going to do it like on April 15th, tax day. It's going to be done by that day. It needs to be registered. You need to go in now. So I don't know if that's the case, but it seems to me to explain why Joseph and Mary went uh, at a time in which she was uh, almost ready to, to give birth. A very uncomfortable time, <clears throat> a time in which Personally, I think would generate a lot of complaint, not only with my friends, but with my Lord in prayer. <clears throat> Why are you doing it like this? Why are you going on like this? There is a lesson here, by the way, at least to me. And that is that many times the things that we resist as being harsh or uncomfortable or maybe even uh, damaging to our walk with the Lord, it's the things that are rough, things that are, are uncomfortable, trials, uh, pressures, things like that. Many times those things that come into our lives sometimes are the very best thing that God can do for us, but the things that we hate the most. But you know we are very stubborn. And, I'm, and I'm, I put we because I am, but I include you because I know you are too. We all have the same, we cut from the same mold that came from Adam. And we are of that rebellious nature, that sinful nature, and it is part of us. We are slaves to sin until the Lord breaks that enslavement of the gospel. It's called the power of God into deliverance. So the gospel does deliver us from that if we would come to him. But these things that are so harsh that we don't like turn out to be even, and we sometimes may not want to admit it, but these things turn out to be if we look back on these, that this was God's necessary discipline for me to get me to stop doing this and to start doing that, to stop turning my ears away. And I don't know what you would have to say, start listening to the Lord and submitting to him. You see what I'm saying? 
And uh, there are times when we need that. There are times when we need to be like the farmer who had to hit the donkey over the head with a two by four in order to get his attention before he could even use him on the plow. So there are times when we are that way. Don't be that way. Be in the word and be submissive to the Lord and let the Lord have his best in you because his best is best. There's no question about it. So here we have a political scene. They proceeded to register for the census. Uh, Joseph and them went up to Judea, the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was in the house and the family of David. That's what uh, his own city is, the place of his family origin. And uh, this 70 mile rule, which by the way came as a fulfillment of Mike Pride, too. I don't know if Joseph realized that at not at the time. It would be interesting if he did. It, may, it would certainly be a comfort to me if I was Joseph, and I was going at the time taking Mary along. Uh, <clears throat> and if, as, as the postcards picture Joseph walking front, Mary sat on the donkey in the back. If it was culture, then Joseph would ride on the donkey and Mary would be walking along. But I think probably he did let her ride on the donkey. I'm sure he did. Anyway, uh, whatever that means, it means. But the thing is, if Joseph, going through this ordeal, realized this was the fulfillment of Micah 5 2, wouldn't that make this not only easy, but a, a, a journey of praise and a, a re continual request of safety and of success in being and getting to Bethlehem uh, and in spite of all the obstacles? And there were, uh, there were some obstacles. First of all, is that she was pregnant and uh, they had not been formed, they were engaged, they had not been formally married. And uh, so that creates kind of an embarrassing situation, although Joseph and Mary knew. That everything was perfectly uh, kosher, if you can use that word. Well, that's the best word to use or not, but everything was fine because she was pregnant by the Holy Spirit. And uh, this is a privilege beyond privileges and the honor of all honors and a necessary step in the redemption, God's redemption for mankind. And they were privileged to be a major part of that. So when we look back at this in the Israel reflection, we look back at those things and we see these things. Uh, we don't want to be <clears throat> disassociated thinking about just general fuzzy things. We're thinking about real people, real circumstances, real relationships, real travels, real political leaders, real historical events. These things that actually took place and the pieces of the puzzle, which are many, and which display in my mind the majesty and the greatness of God's ability to orchestrate things together for his purpose and to do it even before the foundation of the world. So that one of the things that impresses me about this is that we serve a great God, a majestic and powerful God. And the same God is as much on the throne today as he was back then. And while I will have to say, I don't like everything that I see going on, and I'm not in favor of the things that we're living in some times that, are, that really wear out the, the patience, I, it seems to me, of the Lord and, and make me say, Lord, why? Why are we doing this? Yet, in the middle of this, the throne of the universe has not shaken, it is not tottering, the sounds of peel and under coming from the throne come because of the greatness of the one who sits on the throne and he is the one who makes all things work all things after the counsel of his world and brings it to pass and he is doing that just now now rick is not here this morning 
and Eric has already been scolded about his being absent. But one of the things that Rick says frequently is that he's not worried because he knows that God's in charge. And he's absolutely right. That is a comfort. It should be one of the greatest comforts to us because change and decay, as the song says, around us I see, but thou who changest not, abide with me. He's there and he's in charge. So anyway, <clears throat> in the middle of these circumstances, it says it came about that while they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, which means she later had other children. She wrapped him in strips of cloth uh, and laid him in a feed trough or manger because there was no room for them. Notice the word days were completed. Normal process of delivering pregnancy with time things and stuff like that. This is this was not this was not some kind of unusual birth where uh, she gave birth, but that there was a glow around him and that the, the angels were there to take all the wipers and do everything else. No, it was a normal birth with grueling things. One used to talk about getting doing, getting Joseph to do something with the hot water or whatever you need to do to take care of the birth. It, one is very practical things like that. He's a good man. But anyway, this is this is a normal birth with normal activities and things going on. And um, just like the history, just like the political scene, so on and so forth. Swatting clothes strips of cloth that were used to keep the child from damaging himself and other things. Um, being no room for in, another point of disappointment, perhaps. Um, looking like maybe here is a, a closed door. Uh, it may look like, you know, I mean, how, how do you do that? That's the way I set things. When you're going through this area and you're really going to open here, you go up here and you knock on the door, and there's no room there. You close the door, you look at each other and you wonder what's, what's going on, how's this happening? That's God working it out. But he's able to work it out. He is working it out. He's on the scene and he has a slip. The throne is not tottering. Uh, he's doing what needs to be done. And so there was no room for them at the end. And, um, but she laid him in a feeding trough, which is a very, very humbling place, uh, a place where it would require some work to clean it up before you put your little baby in there and blanket swat and close up what it would be to do. And uh, but what, what a picture contrast, a, a perfect, in my, my thinking, a perfect photograph, if you will, for Christmas cards, where you have this, the Lord, the King of Kings, uh, thus in lowly manger lay, as the song we just finished singing said, here's the King of all kings, the Lord of all lords, lowly laying in a feeding trough. Um, and, and the only ones to serenade this would be the angels of of glory because people, the, the leaders and others didn't come. And then a year or so later, when the star appeared or the shining appeared, it says that the leaders knew where they were born, but they didn't bother to go and check out what Saint did. Um, it, it's interesting. It's it interesting to me um, how easily, and I'm not talking about you, I'm talking about me, how easily I am distracted from important things. And I'll give you an example, a practical example. Uh, when we came to do the, the uh, Christmas carol, uh, and we, we couldn't do it, and I was, if it had been left to me, I probably would just stay there in the room and then I, whatever I'm going to do, watch the Fox News or whatever like that, uh, wasn't jumping up and down with joy to get out and just go around. It was took effort, effort against what I wanted to do, my flesh. You understand what, you understand what I'm saying? It's just, it's just me. We're going to have to do that, but it was a, a wonderful blessing, 
And I'm so glad we did it. Now I really think maybe we have started a good tradition that can last because the people there, I, I saw myself maybe five or six that were emotionally touched and moved by this. And may say, may I say to you, it wasn't just the response of the people to us, but it was also your response to them, the expression of your love and care for them. And that really touched my heart. And that's really, that's very, very important. Uh, and I, I think it's, I think it's, it speaks good. So here are the events that are uncomfortable that took place that give us a picture of this coming birth of the Messiah. Let's move to one more part of it, and that kind of the announcement. The announcement uh, in Luke chapter 2, verse 8, and it came about the same reason. Uh, there were shepherds out in the fields keeping watch over their flock uh, by night. Uh, there is some as evidence that maybe these were sheep that were taken care of, being cared for for temple sacrifices. That's a good possibility. We don't know that for sure. Uh, it doesn't change the narrative of the story, but it, does, it is an interesting possibility that these shepherds were taking care of sheep. <clears throat> that are ultimately destined for sacrifice and Passover, that they are the ones that were chosen by God, which, by the way, shepherds are people that are continually, um, I wouldn't say unclean, maybe, because they're out in the field all the time. They're out and they, they're, they're not prepared to keep themselves clean, they're stepping things and stuff like that. And so it's, it, it's a lot of process for them to get clean in order to go to the temple. So they're people that are. But kind of looked down on in that society. They were the ones God chose to announce the greatness of the coming of his, his uh, birth. And so these were shepherds that were out in the field. As Pete mentioned earlier, we don't know for sure the date. Skeptics have said different times. It's probably likely is maybe the end of October. We don't know. It really doesn't matter. Because the date of his birth, while it's known to God, does not have to be known to us. It doesn't change anything. The day of his resurrection does. Because that's connected with the lunar calendar, the distant side. So, um, anyway, these shepherds were out in the field. They are poor and lowly people. And it talks about the angels coming. Uh, and the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy, which will be to all the people. Um, here, these angels, these shepherds are standing in the field, and these angels, in fact, A.T. Robinson, I remember we talking about that. It talks about that, that uh, they were out there in the dark. If you can picture that, and you've been on, maybe some of you, probably many of you have, I've been on camping trips where you're out there in the dark and you've got a fire going, the cold fire, things are quiet, you're crackling in the wood, maybe the flicking of the flame and the dancing around the shadows and stuff like that. Maybe off in the distance you can hear a dog or two barking, maybe some other stuff going on, but it's pretty quiet. You've got all the stars overhead, so it's really dark. You can see the stars, you can see the Milky Way, and you can see all these things, and you're there, and maybe you're talking about different things. You're talking about your mother in law, you could be talking about what you want to do for um, that baby that you have, the next son is going to be born, or talking about this, or I was talking about different things. When all of a sudden, According to A.T. Robinson, it says these angels, these bright shining angels, stepped by their side. So out of nothing, these angels stepped into their presence by their side there in the brightness of heaven, these glorious angels. It's no wonder that it says that these shepherds were so afraid. They were scared to death. You would be too, and I would be too, because this is a frightening experience. It is a terrifying experience for us to encounter heavenly 
creatures like that. It's, it's so far beyond our ability to comprehend with reason what's going on. It just staggers the imagination to think about that. But it really took place. It really happened. The Reed Shepherds were there. And um, so uh, they give the announcement. It says, I bring you good news of a great joy, which shall be for all the people. I'm going to come back on the camp on that for a moment the idea of joy. We've been doing a little bit of study about that, but um, this, this news is something that brings joy, brings good uh, response, a good, good, good uh, um, reaction to the people. It is good news that is to bring joy, and it's good news uh, that will affect uh, all people. Uh, he says to day, verse 11, in the city of David has been born for you a savior, not, not just a helper, Savior, who is Christ the Lord, who is Messiah Jehovah, and is this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes or strips of cloth, and lying in a stable. And that lying in the stable is the sign because you don't usually find babies laying in a feeding trough. There he is. He is the Messiah. He is, he is a, has the covenant name of the Lord. And then it says the armies of heaven suddenly appeared. With the angel, a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and, and uh, saying this, this uh, the number um, is great. Revelation 5.11 suggests the number of angels to be too large in order to count. And using Greek numerology, it's just a number of saying millions and millions, if you will, of myriads and myriads of angels. I hope that I that, uh, thought about that. And we have sort of, when we, we picture in our cards and in our artist activity that we paint pictures that are taking place of angels and and uh, things that are taking place on earth. a lot of scripture has a large uh is a large subject for a subject matter for artists in past generations and paint a lot of things and many times you'll see four or five angels around and painting and you, we don't think of angels as being at least a lot of times we don't think of them as being a large number but if you remember this Right now, we have a population in our world of what, over 4 billion people? Every person having a different DNA, every person having a different fingerprint, every person smelling different, talking different, every person having two eyes and nose and mouth, two ears, and yet every person looks differently. Uh, what I'm trying to say is that it's not a problem for God to create large numbers of things. And so we have myriads, myriads of angels, millions and millions of angels, and I don't know. I know there are some that are pictured in Revelation as having eyes around and about, and having wings, six wings, and other things. Uh, don't place that into the category of being gory. It's not gory. It's, that it's in the heavenly realm, the spiritual realm that we can't see. But those things are just as majestic as they can possibly be. And I'm certain that the activity, I mean, you, got, you talk about the God of the universe. I'm certain that things are well organized, and the schedules are well organized, and the worship, and the praise, and the music. Uh, which is worthy, he is worthy of that many, many, many times over, uh, will fit perfectly into the, the presentation. I sometimes think about a lame thing, the organ up there or whatever, but his, his organization of heaven and the worship and the praise and his seating on the throne, and as we see in Revelation, is majestic and he is there. And so here is this, this picture of heaven, the heavenly angels. And they are saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among men with whom he is well pleased. And that's true. God has 
his uh, he, he has over he oversees the entire human race, but there are those that he has chosen sovereignly out of all of us who are deserving of hell and all of us who are running away. There's not Romans makes it clear that none of us left to ourselves will seek him. We all turn aside, we become useless, um, we run away. There is not one, none of us have spiritual uh, insight or ability to come to him by ourselves. Uh, Paul tells us in First Corinthians that the natural man, the unsaved man, does not, cannot, will not receive the grace, understanding, to take up the things of the spirit. They're foolishness to him. These are things that are spiritually uh, received. The Bible makes it clear that we are slaves to sin. The only way that slavery can be broken is for God to have mercy on us. And so he does. And which should be good news to us, should it? That we are recipients of his greatness. And so this is this is where we'll come down. This is the announcement, the glory to God in the highest. Then uh, the shepherds, we know that the shepherds had heard about that and they went and they investigated that to see um, the things that were told and see what they were saying. And I mean, you, you would do that. If you if God come, come to you and giving you that kind of response, you would do that too. Now I'm going to talk for a moment and then I'll stop because that kind of gives us a picture of the Christmas story. And I'm not trying to make it sort of a matter of fact that we just want to get this stuff out of the way. Um, the, the text, the narrative unfolds with the, I think, with the majestic, majestic greatness of this event and all the surrounding circumstances that make it real. And make it take place. But here in the middle of that is this announcement about joy. And I've been thinking about that a lot. And that's one reason why I'm going to camp on that for a few minutes. Uh, do you have the joy? And Lane used to tell me that one of the guys that were in life, they used to come down and say and ask the question, do you have the joy? I don't remember who it was, but it was Paul Bouvard, but somebody that used to come down and sometimes, at least that's what she remembers, is that you have the joy. The joy is uh, in scripture seems to be a byproduct of, of believers who are in a right relationship with the Lord. For example, it's Psalm 11, 16, it says in thy presence, and the word presence there is, you could translate before thy face, or in thy presence, in thy face, or before thy, in thy presence, or before thy face, is fullness joy. And at thy right hand are pleasures or delights forevermore. Do we, do we experience that in our Christian life? Is there a real joy? Uh, is there real fulfillment? Is there real purpose? Uh, because that seems to be the product there. Psalm 32, 11 says, be glad and rejoice, you righteous ones, and shout for joy, all you who are upright in heart. Shout for joy. Uh, be excited about what God is doing and who he is and what he's doing in your life and the things that that he has done. Uh, the Acts 32 2 tells us the disciples were continually filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. Um, I had a man, and, and I hate to hesitate to ask this, but share this with you because it's, it sounds like I'm patting myself on the back and I'm not, but I went into one those one morning, seven o'clock, I was there, one of the first ones to open. And this guy comes to the line and he, or something, and I see him one night, he does stuff like that. Then he stopped, he says, Are you always, are you always happy and joyful? Do you deliberately try to be happy and joyful? And, and I said, Well, and I was trying to think of how I could give the word testimony. I said, Well, I, I read the Bible in the morning and I try to take the word seriously. But I wish I thought about what I'm thinking now because I could give a little bit more information. That joy is not the byproduct 
of simply deliberately putting on a smiley face and setting up the people and saying, well, you're happy with Jesus. Um, it's, it's the result of overflow flowing heart that loves the Lord. And in these passages, we see connected with joy. Uh, well, okay, Psalm 27, 6 says, I will offer uh, in his hand sacrifices and, and shouts of joy. I will sing. Yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. And that's just singing is a, an overflow of the heart of praise. I can remember when I was young, I used to go to church and sing like sometimes uh, the men were reluctant to sing, a little bit embarrassed instead of to sing, you know, there's a kind of the same very monotone, just a little bit, some uh, you sing about the Lord and stuff like that. And I'm thinking, if the Lord is real in your life, we have we want to list our voices in song and praise, let the world know it's a good thing. It's something to be thankful for and to share with and let it overflow because it's good. It's it's very good. Another verse is 842. My soul, Psalm 842, my soul longs, even yearns uh, to be in God's court, the courts of his house. My soul longs for that. And by the way, I do enjoy the fellowship here. Even though sometimes when I have to serve, they, they go out, either go out and talk to Ann or go out and get something to eat or do something like that. It's not because I don't enjoy it here, but I'm trying to get ready for Sunday night or having something I want to do. But the fellowship that we have is very good. And God is very good to us. He's, he's so good to us. He, he blesses us with this fellowship. You understand what I'm saying? It, 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 we have been blessed with that. And so he says this, my soul uh, longs for, even yearns for the courts of the Lord. My heart in my flesh, listen to this, sing for joy to the living God. Do we, when we sing, do we sing to God? This is the overflow of the heart singing to the Lord. It says, come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Point is this, and, and, and well, I'm wearing you out, but the point is this, that, that the salvation that God has so blessed us with comes with joy. If, it's, if we're serious about it, it comes into our lives. Uh, even in the time of suffering, First Thessalonians says, you also have become imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Tribulation, hardship does not cut away the joy of our relationship with the Lord. Does not over, in fact, in the midst of hardship, in the midst of tribulation, uh, that is, um, I think one of the indications that our salvation is real because in the midst of what seemed to be producing a depre depression and hardship and maybe uh, what sometimes people refer to as mixed feelings or emotions or bipolar emotions or whatever we there in our lives that the Lord has produced in spite of hardship and difficulty, joy. You know, a smile on our face that comes from our heart before the Lord. So, um, one more, I'm going to run out of time here. First, second Corinthians 4, 4 7 says, Great is your confidence, great is my boasting on your behalf. I am filled with joy. I'm overflowing with joy in all our affliction. That is just an overflow heart of joy in the midst of affliction, hardship, and difficulty. And so the salvation that the Lord has promised is very important and very, very good. Joy is connected so much. Uh, it's connected with the receiving God's word in Psalm 1811. Uh, talks about the testimonies of the, of the Lord. They are the joy of my heart. Um, the parable of the sore in 
four or five verses talks about the one who receives the gospel receives the gospel with joy even though later they may turn away from it they receive it and when we receive the message there is joy that's produced in their hearts with that um and so uh john the baptist when he was in his mother's womb uh she walked into the presence of mary or mary walked into her presence that the, the child meet with joy in the room of his mother, Lilith, and uh, that's just a, a byproduct. And so there are many passages, and I'm going to want to just finish up with um, one of the places that we see joy departing, and I think it's a key here to understand that, is uh, the, the, in the Psalm 51, where David is confronted uh, with his, by his sin with Bathsheba and the murder of Uriah. You just remember, we, we acknowledge the seriousness of David's sin, and we acknowledge the harshness of it, but you have to remember, and, and not in defense of David, because it is sin, but you've got to remember David was king. And in that culture, kings pretty much could do unchecked whatever they want to do, because king's a king. That's what God did to, to Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel said, whatever you want to do, you do. You are whoever you want to raise up, you can raise up whoever you want to put down, you can put down, you can do whatever you want to do, and nobody could say your hand. God had given Nebuchadnezzar that freedom, and uh, that's true of David. David had the, the freedom to do a lot of things, but he was still gallant to God. And it was still sin, and it was a very serious sin. And David got caught up in the moment. He did what? All of us as men should listen to caution, with words of caution is don't look on a woman to lust after her because it takes a snap of the fingers in you. And I can tell by experience, and I know you guys can too, the snap of the fingers uh, that your attention and affection for the Lord can be detoured. So you have to guard that. You have to be careful. That, and that's very important. It was David, he sinned. And uh, when he did, he, he was brought under judgment. Uh, his his uh, the Bible uses terms, and I'm not reading it from the text. You can read it from Psalm 51. That there was pressure on David. Uh, talks about the bones that were broken. Talks about uh, cleanse me from sin and uh, give me a good, clean conscience. My conscience bothers me. But one of the things David says here in Psalm 51:12, he says, "You restore to me the joy of my salvation." And I think that is a, a very, I, I know what it's like, and I'm sure you know what it's like to have days in which you get up and you feel dead. Uh, you feel, if you judge your walk and how you feel, you, you, you don't want to do your Bible reading, you don't do your quiet time, uh, you want to do something else. It, it takes effort. It takes effort. It takes effort to pray. It takes effort to get your Bible uh, and to open it. It's effort to read the word, but it is an overflowing fountain of blessing. It's God's word that you focus on the text and you read what the Lord says and you realize who it is that's speaking and you let the word begin to cleanse your heart and your mind of yourself. That it begins to turn you around and open your heart. You see what I'm saying? And open your life. We have those times in which we and there's no joy, and, and frequently it's because. We have been living our life for self. We have been number one. Our our mission and our goal has been to please number one, myself. And I've been doing that. 
And I've had fun. Christmas is a good time. We have fun doing the things we want to do, receiving the things we want to receive. And there's a lot of attention that is diverted to us. And we get what we want. And we may not get the right color we want. So we kind of complain about that. Or we may not get uh, the one that we wanted. We may not want, we, we wanted this model and you only gave us this model. And uh, so, you know, there's just all kinds of stuff because we're self-centered. And we don't have, we don't get our way about things. And I, I'm aware of that. I'm aware of that in my life. That God has blessed me so much. And yet I've spent so many of my prayers asking God for things as if he, if he's a miser and he's holding out on me or not getting what I want. I, I always have gotten far, 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 far better than I deserve. So have you. And so we are, we are so blessed. And uh, we're so, God has been so good to us. So the, the living for self and focusing on ourselves. Uh, removes the joy and uh, kind of gives us a dead life, and there's there's all kinds of there's all kinds of power that is available to us to enable us to get victory. And I don't know what your, your struggles could be. Struggles could, you could be struggling all time. I mean, people we're sinners. We struggle with selfishness. We struggle with greed. We struggle with pornography. We struggle with smoking, drinking, drugs. People struggle with all kinds of stuff. Being addicted to TV, being addicted to uh, laziness, all kinds of things that we struggle with. And we think that the, that the struggle is too great for God to handle. But just remember, Romans says, Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God unto deliverance. That's what salvation means, deliverance. God's gospel delivers us from ourselves. Delivers us from our bondage to sin, our bondage to self, our bondage to living for self. It gives us the ability to turn from being slaves to sin to being slaves of righteousness, in which the flowing, overflowing testimony of our life is God's glory and the joy that He has given to us. Um, Galatians 6, 7, and 8, which is a consecutive verse, that means a consecutive number. Consecutive numbers are numbers like 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, consecutive numbers. Galatians 6, 7, and 8. It's easy to remember, says this. Be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatever man sows, that literally, that and that alone, he will reap. He said, man who sows to the flesh will from the flesh reap corruption or death. One who sows to the spirit will from the spirit reap life. So here we have our life as given, as presented to us in an agrarian type of picture where we sow something and reap a certain harvest. And uh, you, you cannot put cucumber seed into the ground and reap corn. You can't do that. What you plant is what you reap. And that's what this verse is saying. What you put into your life is what you're going to reap in your harvest, in your, in your overflow in your life. And if you sow the flesh, world, the Bible talks about being, love not the world, neither things that are in the world, and then love the world, the love that God has given to us for the Father, which is his ability for us to love him, is not there. And that love, which is normally directed to the Father to love him, is now redirected to the world, to the things of the world, which makes us enemies of God. It puts us on the outside. And so don't, don't love the world. Don't, don't be slave to that thing. And that's what he says. Uh, if you sow the flesh, well, from the flesh reap corruption, death. But if you sow the spirit, the spiritual things, the things of the word, the things of prayer, the things of the fellowship, it's important. This gathering here, is God's will for you right now, and it's his purpose and his plan and his tool and his instrument 
for helping you and helping me to grow to become more like Christ, to get rid of that old desert, dry, self-centered nature and to refocus on the great infinite mercy and the grace of God. If he wasn't merciful and gracious, there would be no hope for us. We are absolutely dead in trespass and sin apart from his mercy and grace. But he has done that. So uh, we, we, uh, we sow the spirit, we're from the spirit we life, we sow the flesh, we eat death. He precedes that whole text with the warning about being not deceived. And that's because this is an area where we think we can sow to the flesh. And we can follow, we really do think that we can sow to the flesh and we can sow to the things of the flesh and we can sow to the things of the world. And we can, at the same time we're doing that, reap some kind of spiritual harvest over here. And Paul says, don't be deceived. You're not, you're trying to mock God. You're not going to succeed in doing it. So you want joy, and that's what is the coming of our Savior produced was joy. You want joy, it's in Christ, it's in obeying him, and living him, and serving him, and following him. And I need that message because I am easily detoured, perhaps you are too, and I don't want to be detoured. I want my life to focus on him, I want my life to count. I pray a lot of times, saying like, I want to hear the words from the lips of the Lord Jesus himself, well done, good and faithful servant. Now you're talking about an unbelievably large request. I can't think of anything that is that is more staggeringly uh, reaching high for for a great request, a great activity of God than that. For me to be called that, or you to be called that, is stretching beyond what seems to be normal. And yet that's what we're asking Him: help us do that. And His gospel is able to do that. So let's let's walk with Him. And as the man used to say, "Word life, you have the joy today." That may be a good way of, of uh, maybe measuring or putting a measuring line on our life. Anyway, let me close with you in prayer. Father, thank you for uh, the Christmas story, which is real, which took place, and we know it's real, and we know it has impacted us, and we go through it every year. It's a good story; never get tired of it. But we thank you for all the people and the events that have gone before that have lived and served and stressed and, and committed and sacrificed and paid prices and done all kinds of things in your plan. And perhaps many of them did these things reluctantly. We don't know, but we know that you are on the throne and you're behind the throne and you're behind these activities and you have done these things. And we, among others, have reaped this mammoth blessing because of it and because of you and because of this time. Help us not to take it for granted. Help us to, to be um, a very obvious, loud, joyful, happy, faithful witness to the greatness of our Savior and of his gospel and his coming. And help our, our testimony to point to him and to exalt him and to manifest the joy that is pictured here in his coming to earth and his salvation is provided. Thank you so much for your goodness to us. Thank you for the blessings that you have poured out in our lives. Thank you for these people. Pray for your blessing now upon the remainder of this day and also the services tomorrow. And we pray in Jesus' name. Thanksgiving. Amen.